What? Never mind. I was okay. just going to say who's going to start. Oh, I'll start. I'll start. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we're starting. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Black Menaces podcast. The uh, the first recorded podcast of this year. Um, excited to be back and happy to be on the show. Joined with my amazing co-host, the Rachel. Honorable Reverend <laughs> Rachel Weaver. Yes. Back in the seat again this week. Super excited to be here and for the interview today. Absolutely. And we also have an amazing artist here in studio. Uh, Mr. Bryson Alejandro, say hello to the audience for us. Hey, hey, what's up? Perfect, thank you. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about Bryson and the work that he does. But before we do that, you know what it is. We got our menace moment. This American film director has a body of work that continually explores issues of race, the black community, crime and poverty, and morality. He has won numerous awards, including an Academy Award, two Primetime Emmys, a BAFTA Award, and two Peabody Awards. Shelton Jackson Lee, or Spike Lee, was born March 20th, 1957 in Atlanta, Georgia, to his father, who is a jazz musician and composer, and his mother, who is a teacher of arts and black literature. His family moved from Atlanta to New York City during his childhood, and as a young adult, he enrolled at Morehouse College, where he made his first film as a student. Last Hustle in Brooklyn was the title of it. He graduated with a bachelor's in mass communications while taking film classes from a neighboring school, Clark Atlanta University. And then he went on to earn a Master of Arts from New York University Tisch School of Arts. In 1983, um, Lee premiered his first independent short film titled Joe's Bedside Barbershop, We Cut Heads. He submitted this film as his master's degree thesis. The film was the first student film to be showcased in Lincoln Center's New Directors and New Films Festival. And his father, Bill Lee, uh, was actually the one that composed the score for that short film. And the film won a Student Academy Award. In 1985, he began to work on the film that launched his career called She's Gotta Have It. The film was Lee's first feature-length film and launched his career. Uh, he wrote, directed, produced, starred, and edited the film with a budget of 175000 And he shot the film in two weeks. When the film was released in 1986, it grossed over $7 million at the U.S. box office. Now, me saying that myself, that sounds very significant. But Bryson, since you're like in the film world, what does it mean to like have a budget of 175000 to gross Ooh. seven million and then do it all and like or to to do, use that budget in two weeks and then gross right seven two weeks is what I'm talking. Could you just about. kind of like give us some scale on that? Oh yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh-huh. 175. That's like that's, that's nothing. And back then too, it's like mm-hmm. dang. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like the only other reference, the the best reference point I have is like Napoleon Dynamite mm-hmm. is like very well known at least here in like you know the Rocky yeah. region. Yeah. Uh, they made that for just under half a million. Wow. Um, okay. And that was, what, early 2000s? Mm-hmm. Um, and they also were, like, you know, <laughs> asking for favors from the community and mm-hmm. just, like, stretching the dollar as much as they could. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, 175, I'm like, whew. I mean, I wish I had that much to make something. but Right. <laughs> but, like, right. yeah, comparatively, it's like, that's... I, there's no way. It's like, mm-hmm. how can you do that? But yeah, he did it was, it. yeah, it was significantly more in the 80s, but still not a lot for a movie. Yeah, yeah. still in comparison to what they put into movies now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Like the average movie, like the average low budget Hollywood films, maybe like five million minimum. Oh. Yeah. Low maybe budget. Low. Yeah. Low budget. That's why. I wow. mean, there's, there's obviously like independent films that are oh, lower, okay. but. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. 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 Um, but... You know, like less than a million, but mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like studio productions okay big studios like low 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 budgets are like 
five million starting. Okay, interesting. More or less. It's always wild to me when like people have a budget of like two, three hundred million, and they just destroy a movie <laughs> like Justice League. I'll never oh, get over geez. that. Such a bad movie. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. Back to this. Uh, in 1989, uh, Spike Lee produced what many considered to be his seminal film called "Do the Right Thing," which focused on racial tensions in a Brooklyn neighborhood on a hot summer day. The film gained critical acclaim as one of the best films of the year from film critics, including both Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, who ranked the film as the best of 1989 and later in their top 10 films of the decade, which is high praise. Um, in spite of this, the film was not nominated for Best Picture or Best Director at the Academy Awards. The film only earned two Academy Award nominations for Best Original Screenplay, and it was his first Oscar nomination. And then it also had a nomination for Best Supporting Actor uh, for Danny Aiello. The film that won Best Picture that year was Driving Miss Daisy, which if you are familiar with that film, it's a film that focuses on some very like safe stereotypes, uh, you know, surrounding black and white people and, and, and race and things like that. And um, I think it was just Morgan Freeman just driving a white lady around for most of the movie. I've never actually seen it, so I'm not sure like entirely what it was about, but um, that's the film that won Best Picture that year. Um, you know, and, and Spike Lee said that it actually hurt more that that film did well over his film than it did that he didn't receive the nomination for it. Um, his production company, 40 Acres and a Mule Filmworks, has produced more than 35 films since 1983. Some of his works include School Days, Jungle Fever, The Five Bloods, Black Klansman, and Malcolm X, starring Denzel Washington. And fun fact, Black Klansman stars Denzel Washington's son, John David Washington, which I thought was cool. Um, Lee's films do the right thing, Bamboozled, Malcolm X, Four Little Girls, and She's Gotta Have It were each selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And I believe, didn't Spike Lee just win his first Oscar, like, wasn't it a few years ago? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? When did he win his first Oscar? I don't know. But he's been making films since 1983, and he just won his first Oscar. That's a long time. Yeah, within the you know the first few years. And, I mean, he's made some incredible films. I mean, films that were selected by the, the Library of Congress, you know, um, and he's just not received the... Uh, the acclaim that he deserves um but yeah so that's that's a little bit about spike lee and the reason we did him today is because we're interviewing an incredible uh, filmmaker director producer actor is that right yeah, get it get yeah. all the titles take it away with the uh, with the biography yes so i'm gonna read the bio really quick um so bryson alejandro is a latinx film producer and actor he strives to elevate diverse voices in art and film believing that there should not only be more stories told about people of color but there should be more stories with people of color regardless of culture or subject matter amen <laughs> as part of his mission bryson co-founded uh a, a how do you say it again uh, Epoca. Epoca. Okay. Epoca, a nonprofit seeking to increase the visibility and representation of BIPOC actors and storytellers in Utah. And then um, there's some accomplishments that he has, um, such as he has acted in a variety of commercial short films, web series, and has uh, guest starred on some TV shows. He has improv comedy special um, on Dry Bar Unscripted um, and has produced over 100 commercials over the years. Okay, flex on us. And recently produced two short films with Latinx female protagonists. Um, yeah. And so I'm excited for us to interview you today to talk about your journey getting into um, filmmaking. But now that we've read your bio, you can fill in any gaps and introduce yourself to the listeners um, if there's anything that you feel like we, we didn't introduce already. Hello, hello. Uh, I think that 
covers it. That, I think that covers okay, it. it. Covers I it. mean, there's more things I could throw out but that we'll get into. Those are the most on topic. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I want to start kind of. We always like to start like with people's uh, story, how they got to where they are. So let's go back to. Um, you're growing up um, in Los Angeles. And so what was that like for you? Did you have any experiences um, that made you interested in filmmaking or that brought that would bring you here to Utah eventually kind of start us off with your, you know, adolescence and then teenage years? Yeah. So I was actually born and raised here in Utah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm like a Utah native. Okay. Um, my mom's from Colombia and my dad is is from Utah. So I'm mixed. Um, I'm a first-generation college graduate. Period. Um, and technically, English is my second language. Okay. So my my dad had served a, an LDS mission in Argentina. Okay. And so we we spoke Spanish in the home growing up. That's awesome. Um, at least the first few years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, Spanish was technically my first language, and I didn't start like, I guess, speaking English regularly until like kindergarten i guess okay until you like went to school yeah yeah okay. yeah, yeah but um unfortunately i would say english is probably my like main language now okay. like i know just better than than i do spanish okay unfortunately but um but I so your family spanish. didn't stick stick to the spanish speaking only in the house uh they tried they tried. They tried okay <laughs> but it took over it yeah. took over right yeah and then also with like younger siblings like my i'm the oldest of five Oh, they always and, try the hardest with the oldest. Yeah, so I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they were like with the oldest really being like, okay, we're going to stick to this. We're going to do it. And then, you know, as more kids come, they get, uh, our parents just get tired. So. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm a, I'm a father of three oh, and I've, I've been trying to do the same thing as well. Right. It's like, you know, I just speak Spanish to them and that's it. But it's been six years now of fatherhood and I'm like, man, it's, it's tiring. Oh, I, I can imagine. I, my, my sister has kids. They aren't mine, but in spirit, okay? So I can't imagine if I was in it every day, um, how certain things would just, you know, have to go a little. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about what it was like to to kind of grow up in Salt Lake City um, as, you know, having a, a mother who was an immigrant on one hand and then your father who was, you said he was from Utah? Yeah. yeah. yeah so just tell us kind of how, how, what was it like kind of growing up in Utah during that time period? Um, it's interesting because like, I feel like as I've started to reflect on my life and on my youth, I'm like, I don't know if I've specifically been the recipient of like racism or microaggressions, at least that I've noticed right. growing up, but I definitely have seen like how my mom has been treated mm. and like having had com recent conversations with my mom, it's like, oh dang, like, yeah, she, she definitely experienced racism mm. all the time, whether it was, you know, like Go, going shopping and like being followed around mm. or um like neighbors coming over to the house like greeting us and then being like oh who who are you are you the are you like the the maid and it's like no i live here mm. and it's like what the mm. and even recently like she recently just moved to a new city with like a a decent new home mm -hmm. yeah um and same thing like the the people down the street from the local church like come and they're like a little confused as to like what she's doing there and she's like had it like with you know yeah, 30 sure. plus years of being wondering assume, people assuming that she's the help or you mm -hmm. know of right. the maid or you know there to clean the house or whatever um she she's both without even like prompting she's like yo nope i live here you know i'm not i'm not the maid i, I got this house with my own money i work and this and that mm -hmm. and i'm like dang go mom yeah <laughs> right. But yeah, so like just people just like, yeah, just treating her 
not great. And like just other other like random experiences. Like I remember um recently in my young adulthood, um, I guess not recently, it was like 10 years ago, but <laughs> uh like at an event uh that she like uh was hosting and she like rented out this event space and like the owners were just like treating her poorly and it's like mm. it's like what is what's going on here but then like with my dad it's like oh no they respect him they like it's right. fine it's like it's two things like my dad's white he's also a guy a male right. man so it's like all right so just because you there's this brown woman you're not gonna respect her or think she has you know up to something it's like i just weird so yeah so i think there's a lot of things like that that like I personally haven't experienced a ton, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've seen a lot of like how my mom's been treated over mm-hmm. the years. And as a kid, like thinking back, I was like, oh, dang, that that happened to her. That's wild. Would you say that you like felt any effects of that as a kid? Or did it just kind of like, did it just flow? Yeah. It's just kind of like a part of life or it was something that you realized later or did it affect you in that moment? Yeah, did you you realize that that's what was happening? Because sometimes when you're a kid, you don't always pick up on things, especially racial things at such Uh a young age, Mm -hmm. you might not even realize that's sometimes what's happening. Yeah, I don't think I did realize. Mm. And I feel like it's only been like in the last eight or so years that I've been like reflecting back and realizing I was like, oh, wow, like this stuff happened. And then like thinking through like my adolescence, I'm like, what was my like relationship with my identity as as like a Latino. Mm. And I think I was aware of it because I remember like making jokes about myself, like being the brown friend or like, mm-hmm. you know, making like <laughs> Latino jokes with yeah. my predominantly white friend group mm-hmm. and like being like, and like pulling like the race card as a joke all the time mm. to like fit in maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know. And then like right. reflecting back, I was like, was I doing it because I was uncomfortable? Was I doing it just because I wanted to fit in? Did right. I do it because... I was like the odd person out and I wanted to like draw attention to me or like not make it weird. Like, I don't, I don't know. And I'm assuming there's probably some of that, that going on. Right. But, um, but it's also interesting reflecting back and being like, oh wow, a lot of the jokes I was making about myself are somewhat problematic. Right. (laughs) Kind of like going back and dissecting yourself is always like, dang. Yeah. I'm like, what, what scope was I working from for myself? Where was my, like, where was my head at? Mm. Um, And so I always think that's interesting to like, dissect yourself and where you used to be yeah yeah and i remember you know i I also took part in the self-deprecating humor and stuff like that and i think um my biggest thing was i could sense kind of like you said like i I could sense that i was the odd one out and i was like i gotta make i gotta figure out how to make these people like be comfortable around me right because clearly they're not comfortable so i gotta figure out and the best way i could figure out how to do that was to kind of like make light of the things that they observe because they can see that I'm a black person, right? They can see that. And so if I make light of that fact, then then they can dismiss it more easily. Um, I think that was the psychology behind myself doing it. And I think it's different for everyone. Um, but yeah, I think just kind of like as a kid, that desire to fit in and to kind of have a group, which is a normal human desire. I think that, you know, that outweighs the desire to like, you know, preserve a heritage or preserve a culture, you know, for that time being. And then as you mature, that comes later. But mm-hmm. at least for me, that's that's kind of how it felt. Would you would you agree with that? Or was it kind of different for you? What would you say? No, yeah, I, I think that resonates. I, th- I would agree with that. So I guess what um, what inspired you to to get into the film world and to get into the, you know, the world of, of producing and directing, acting, all of that? Yeah, so I feel like it's at least performing has always been... <laughs> has always been a like in me. Um, so like in middle school and high school, I did, you know, plays and musicals and all that. And, and in high school, I started like making videos for, um, in my high school, we had seminary as part of like the, the class 
day. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. instead of early morning seminary. And I guess for those who don't know, like seminaries, like at least in the LES church is like a dedicated time to like learn about the gospel, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but in Utah, they like, it, they offer that as part of like a regular class schedule. And so I was part of a seminary group that called Sem TV. It's like seminary TV oh. where we'd, we'd make like videos and stuff. And I was one, I was like, it was just an excuse to like make random goofy videos yeah. and somehow loosely tie it to like a gospel principle. Love that. Um, <laughs> but it was really just like just random stuff. Like what the heck, what are mm. we watching? And then at the end it's like, be kind or like be like Jesus and you know, something lame. But like that really got me interested into like in, in creating and storytelling. Um, and so get going into college, I, I went to BYU uh, in Provo and I was interested in like going into film. Yeah, but they I took, have a film program. Yeah, they have a fantastic film program. Um, but I took a film class and I didn't love what it did to my like movie watching experience. Mm. Like I started being more critical mm. and I wasn't able to like just enjoy it. Mm. And so I was like, man, maybe not for me. Yeah. And so I didn't study film. Uh, I ended up getting a degree in marriage and family life. Nice. That's and- a good, it's, it's good though. <laughs> I love uh, some psychology stuff. So yeah, yeah. It's very informative. Yeah. But other than my own marriage and family life, I don't really do anything <laughs> with it. <laughs> with that degree. You conduct so, uh, couples therapy between you and your wife. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I know very well what I'm doing wrong. Right. Okay. That's <laughs> like, good. Oh, cool, hey, cool. self-awareness is the first step. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but uh, in, while I was at BYU, I was part of a sketch comedy group called Divine Comedy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Divine I know about comedy. them. Yeah. yeah I, I used to look at them when I was like, I think I was like a early teenager, maybe a preteen or something. Like I'm trying to remember the era when I first came across them and I've seen like, I would see their stuff. So yeah, I might've saw you. Maybe. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, there's, it's funny. Like I graduated um, almost 10 years ago and like, even still like there's like, People that come up and like, I used to see you on YouTube when I was a kid. And I was like, dang, <laughs> yeah. you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that, I, that's what, that was my like only thing that I understood on the internet about like BYU was like, that's like what came up for it. Uh-huh. And that's mm-hmm. what I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which which has been really cool to like to see how like, I mean, it's, it's like SNL. So it's like sketch comedy, but it's like really family friendly. And a lot of it's kind of like tailored to a, a BYU audience. But, um, but yeah, it's just like, you know, three to five minute sketches or or funny videos, um, that like shed light on like different, different things and, and in a humorous way. Um, and, and I loved being a part of that. And I think that really like cemented in me, like, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep like doing comedy or like telling stories and like making videos. And so after graduating, um, I kind of like just fell into film mm. uh, and I started like making commercials and, and writing. And, and then I also um, got talent agent uh, here in Utah to like act in, in mm, stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. And so I've been doing that now for like eight years. And, and over, the t- over the years, I've like had a ton of great experiences with being in, in, a part of different productions, whether it's like a guest star on like a Disney Channel show or um or being in like independent feature films and then like loads and loads of like different commercials and stuff um which has been like really cool to be a part of it's like dang i do this for money it's like yeah yeah it's cool and then on the flip side i'm also behind the camera right as a producer as a creative director overseeing and creating content mostly commercials but some narrative projects as well um and it's like it's like 
it's awesome. I love it. I love being a part of the storytelling process, whether it's as an actor or as a producer and being, being able to like, yeah, be a part of like different, different projects that are either like funny and just like random or like that have meaning behind them. Yeah. And so how did you, um, cause obviously you had an agent, right. Who helped you starting to get in the acting side. And so when you were moving to wanting to be behind the camera, how did you make that transition or what did that look like? What did you have to pick up any like hard skills? Like, I'm just curious how that was. Cause I know that that can be challenging too, or just scary to step into that space. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of what producers do is um, like logistics mm. and like mm. scheduling and budgeting and like uh very like type A personality type okay. stuff. And that's, okay. I am that. Okay. <laughs> Even though I'm also a creative, like when people are like, wait, you're a creative, but you're type A. And I'm like, yeah, I'm mm. always clashing inside. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and so, yeah, so a lot of it was just like, really, it just came naturally to me in terms mm. of like being really organized and like, you know, laying that down a timeline and schedules and budgets and, and all of this. And so, um, and I think that's a part of like filmmaking that a lot of people might not think about. I surely um, didn't until you told me right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Cause a lot of people think of like, oh yeah, this writing the screenplay and then like, you know, the camera work and like, you know, working right. with the actors and like getting really cool shots and like that stuff is great, but like you can't do it if you don't have someone else keeping things on schedule okay. and keeping things on task and, you right. know, and hiring people and making sure you're not going up a budget and, and so that's what I do, which like sounds boring, but I kind of have fun. It's yeah. fun for me. Yeah. And then I'm also part of the creative process as well, mm. um, which is great because I'm, I'm very involved with casting and I love casting. Mm. I love finding new actors and new talent mm. that I haven't worked with before that can just like bring a script to life or bring a project to life. Mm. And uh, that's like super exciting to me. Um, so, yeah. Love that. Love that. That's cool. So where did you like along, you know, as you've as you moved into the the creative process and I like, started working with with films and commercials and stuff like that? Um, like where did you get the idea or where did you get the passion to connect it to your culture? And like, you know, what made you want to start Epoca? Mm -hmm. What made you want to start that? Yeah. So I feel like um I think it was like 2016 between 2016 and 2018, where I started really getting a, a greater sense of awareness of the lack of diversity and representation mm -hmm. in cinema and in film and in storytelling in general. Um, and I don't know if that's because of uh, politics during that time. <laughs> and it, just like it was bigger, an awakening for a lot of yeah, things, for a lot of people. So. Not for me, because I was on my mission, but you know, for right. <laughs> And yeah, but no, that time was definitely like an awakening for a lot of things. For yeah. A lot of and so I feel like those like 2016 to 2020 were like very transformative years mm. for me as a person and also as a creative. Um, and then I feel like 2020 then like unleashed the cap of like, okay, I can be more vocal about this and more bold mm. about the changes I want to see in my industry. Yeah. Um. And so, so yeah, so I guess kind of going back to like between 2016, 2018, I feel like, yeah, I just like, I just realized and noticed like the lack of representation and diversity in, in like everything I was doing. And it was like annoying. And I was like, what is going on? Like, how come I'm always the only person of color in the room, whether it's in front of or behind the camera? Mm. And I didn't like that. Mm. And it was rare to like ever see any other person of color like in in a, in a pro in any given project i was a part of um 
And I've had like a ton of experiences um, with like microaggressions or subtle or overt racism, I guess, whether it's directly towards me as an actor or just like observing it happen to like Mm. other people Mm. or other actors of color. And I'm like, oh, what the... And I think a lot of those experiences over time, I'm like, okay, we need we need to do something different. We need to we yeah. need to make a change. Mm-hmm. What does um, that look like? Maybe for somebody who's not so yeah, I was gonna with, say, like, what do what do microaggressions look like in the in the industry or yeah, um, any that you could share, like, like small or large? You said larger, um, yeah, yeah, examples of racism that you saw, either one. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, uh, a lot of the ones that come to mind are um, in the in a casting room, so like in an audition. Uh, someone might ask you to be like, if they if they kind of see you, they're like, okay, they're, you know, this type of person or they're this type of background. They might ask you to be like, oh, okay, can you can you give us the lines again, but maybe do it a little bit more urban. Oh, wow. Like stuff like that. Or, or they're like, oh, you're, you're, you're Mexican, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not Mexican, but I'm Latino. And they're like, oh, okay, how, how about do it again, but with like a Mexican accent and oh, stuff like wow. that. Oh, wow. Like, just be that straight up with yeah, it. Okay. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, okay. And as an actor who like, you want to get roles, you right. want to get jobs. Right. You're, you're placed in this weird position of like, do I do it? Because I want to get the job. I want the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want the work. But also I'm like, am I like compromising like who i am or like i don't and so it's like stuff like that that's like problematic um other other forms of i guess microaggressions are like kind of when it comes to like hair Mm. or like hair textures or or hairstyles um specifically i think with like people with like curlier hair or more like afro hair yeah and or locks or locks yeah (laughs) just like all all kind of we're we're again in the casting room they're like so uh what can you do with your hair? Like, can we do something different? Can we like, are you okay oh, if we straighten it and stuff okay. like that? Or they like just want to kind of like make it more, I guess, palatable for their audience right. or for their own eyes. Um, and what's even, I mean, and, and that's, it's rare if they ask that like in the audition room, sometimes they just do it when you're already on set. Oh, so and now they, they've bait and switched you. Yeah. They've yeah. Brought you okay. in and now they're asking you to be someone else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and for, and that's really problematic. I think for, I think, especially for like a lot of black actors yeah. where it's like, you don't understand. Like, I know hair is a huge, a oh, huge thing, right? It's, it's, it's very big. big. It's big. Yeah. And it's like, you can't just like change it. You can't yeah. just like curl it or straighten it real quick. Like you would. No, someone and with, also with, you're not my preferred are you do you know how to do this now i have questions it's like your request could have been put in the bank and we could have like worked a process out but now you've thrown it on me and mm-hmm. i'm scared for someone to touch my hair yeah Absolutely. and and for a lot again for a lot of actors they don't want to be problematic they don't yeah. want to be a diva so they're like oh okay sure oh wow and then like damage happens or yeah. like you're just put in this like really uncomfortable situation it's like it's not that's not okay yeah um and it, and it, I feel like it's similar to like I mean, a lot of people are aware of like being put in like sexually manipulative um, circumstances or situations on on set is like not okay or like in acting spaces like that's not okay. But I feel like as people of color, like these are like, it's similar. Yeah, that's, where it's like yeah. I am uncomfortable and you have the power to say no, yeah. but it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of scary to say no again, yeah. because you, you I want mean, the job, you want the work, you yeah. don't want to be problematic. You want, you, you, people are going to talk and you want to be known as like, Oh yeah, they're great to work with, but yeah, your if, reputation's if, on the line. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, you know, pushing back, like, Oh, I don't, I don't want you to touch my hair or like, I don't want you to do that to my skin. It's like, Oh, huh? Oh yeah. They weren't great to work with. They weren't that easy to work with. So, and it's like, 
that's not cool. That's not mm. fair. So, um, so yeah, so there's, there's things like that. And then, um, I think other, other things that like a lot of people don't realize the actors of color have to deal with is, um, when it comes to like different varying skin tones, mm. like a lot of hair and makeup stylists, specifically in Utah, mm-hmm. like they don't have a lot of experience with different skin tones or darker skin tones. And so they might not know how to like mix the makeup correctly or like match it to your skin tone correctly. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes they're just kind of like doing their thing and you don't look as great or like you're darker or lighter than you should be. Yeah. Um, and, and then on top of that, like when you show up on set, depending what your skin tone is, like the lights that they're using mm. might wash you out or might make you look darker or lighter than you should be. Mm-hmm. And then in post-production, there's this process called color correction where they adjust the colors and like balance things out and like make things more vibrant or more dull depending on on the tone and vibe and style that they're wanting and again that's a place where you might then become darker or lighter than you are Mm -hmm. and in my experience i've been like whitewashed a ton and i know i'm not like the darkest, I'm not the brownest, mm. but I have like yeah, you've, a, a, you're olive we, skin. Yeah, yeah. I have olive skin. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm like white, <clears throat> right? But oftentimes when I see a final product in like a commercial or a film, I'm like, oh, they they really whitewashed me. You're like I look good there. I look very Caucasian. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, and it just yeah. it just makes me sad because I'm like, that's mm. that's not what I look like. That's not me. Yeah. Um, I actually have an experience with that. It was kind of kind of random. During the pandemic, I thought I was going to start an acting career. I don't know. It was crisis this. time. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know this about you, Nate. <laughs> I thought I was going to start an acting career. This talent agency had reached out to me. It was a talent agency, talent agency here in Utah. Um, I was living in Arizona at the time. I don't know how I thought it was going to work, but they they got me to sign up. And I went and paid this photographer that was recommended to me by the, the agent. I paid this photographer $400. Oh, that's a lot. It was a lot of money, yeah. Especially that's a lot for like a starting photo shoot or something. Yeah, especially since I didn't have a job at the time. Oh wow, Nate. You know, <laughs> pandemic and whatnot. But I was, anyway, <laughs> so I pay this. I pay this photographer. He takes these pictures. I get them back. The pictures aren't even good. Like they just look very awkward. But then I zoom in, look at my face, and he had like adjusted my teeth. He had like lightened my face. He had narrowed my nose. And I was like, what is wrong with my face? And I looked at it, and I was like, oh, he changed the shape of my lips. He changed the shape of my teeth to try wow. and make it look. I don't know why he felt like he needed to do that. But yeah, to this day, those pictures, I, I keep them as a reminder that they will never see the light of day. <laughs> I think I've shown them to a few people. I'll show them to you at who maybe I'll even post one on the uh on the 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 podcast or whatever. But yeah, I just remember like once I realized that he had altered my features for, you know, these random headshots, I was like, no, what was the point of that? Why did you need to do that? You know, why couldn't I just have my natural features and, and have that be okay? So to hear you kind of say that, it just remind, reminded me of that, that situation. But, yeah, uh, it, it's wild. And I feel yeah. like a lot of headshot photographers are like, I don't know why they do that. They feel mm-hmm. a need to like really change the way you look. Yeah. When a headshot, the purpose of it is like to show casting directors like what you look like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you're like touched up and like clear skin and like your face looks more narrow, your nose has changed, your teeth are like, like you know, fixed. This? It's like, yeah, it's like that's that's not me. Mm-hmm. And then and and if you are you know presenting yourself like here's my headshot, then they see you in person, you're like, what the heck? These are two different people. Yeah. Like we didn't like so yeah, it's like I don't know why they do that. And oftentimes like in what I've had to do is I've had to be proactive with my headshot photographers saying like, Hey, I want you to maintain my skin tone. Like, I don't want you to mm. lighten it up at all. Like mm. keep it as is, as, as naturally as possible. Cause I don't, I don't want you to 
change it because yeah. <laughs> they will. They, they just because they feel like, oh, this looks better. Mm. And it's like, well, I mean, not to me. Right. Yeah. yeah. And what you're talking about, what you're sharing about what the actors of color and, and like black actors have to go through. Um, I've seen things on social media from different performers, whether it be models, dancers, whatever, and they share those similar sentiments. And so I know that it's not just a problem, even if you've, you know, experienced I hear it happens everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And like I saw this one model one time, she like recorded herself, um, her makeup being done. I think it was New York Fashion Week. And they did not like know how she had like really deep, dark, beautiful skin. And they just did not know how to match her. So she, she like looked ashy mm. and she was like crying after because she's like, I'm supposed to go and walk the runway looking like this but like i look like this does not look good on me like i don't feel confident and i'm representing this brand looking awful um and so i i think it's crazy to I, that's something like that to me I, I i really forget about it because it seems like such a simple fix to me like those seem like easy fixes like oh if you're a professional at this you should be experienced in doing everyone right. you, should you should know, know. how to do anyone who sits in your chair especially because i thought about doing hair for a little bit um and so as someone who's thought about that i'm like oh i would need to be trained in every single type of hair like i can't like i can specialize but i would need to know how to do everyone um and so realizing that like some people don't have that mindset or haven't gotten that experience is like mind-boggling to me as someone who's like you're gonna be like people are paying you for your services mm -hmm. and your expertise mm -hmm. why wouldn't you want to represent that in the best way yeah yeah it's it's wild and and it's it's crazy to think that i mean I get it. We're in Utah, right? Like we we don't have a a ton of diverse options when it comes to like hair and makeup stylists or crew members and and things like that. But if if you have like a black actor on set or a black family on set and you're going to be doing their hair, it's like you should be proactive in right. finding a hairstylist yeah. and a makeup artist right. that knows how to do that right ideally a black hair and makeup artist yeah and it's really not that hard to do i mean worst case scenario you can go to instagram and find somebody mm -hmm. you know yeah people just they're not proactive in it like you said yeah it's like they don't they don't care it's like no. they don't they don't have the time or they don't want to put the extra effort or energy mm -hmm. into to doing it now that you bring it up that's so true like you already know that they're coming now i'm like right they know that they're coming they know that they're going to have people who maybe they're whoever they historically use or normally use might not have the expertise for. So why don't you go out and get that? Mm -hmm. So I told and like, and oh, you wow. kind of mentioned it's like it, this isn't like just Utah specific, right? Like it's no. it's, it's everywhere. Yes, one hundred percent. It's everywhere. I uh, so this last summer I produced a, a pretty big budget commercial, and we had we hired a black actor um, who's based out of Colorado, mm. and originally we were supposed to have a black couple. Okay. But the client uh didn't love that. <laughs> and I was like, "Wait, why?" And they're like, "Well, we want to appeal to our 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 main demographic, which is mostly middle-aged white women." Mm -hmm. And so oh, they wanted okay. the one of uh one of the the of the couple to be a white woman. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, "All right, whatever. Like that's super yeah. annoying after I had already like reached out to a lot of like diverse mm. options mm -hmm. anyways uh yeah. that is one thing, i'm sorry to cut you off but that no, is you're... one thing that i have noticed is that rarely do you see um like just same race couples that are not white on tv um it's always like a black person with an asian person or a latino person with a white person or like you know they always they always mix it, mix up. it up and like i understand the rationale behind that because you know you're trying to appeal to a particular demographic but also be inclusive you know um 
but it is interesting to see that you know in a lot of casting and, and yeah you know, commercial and, and like you said like it's that. like why why can't we have same race couples or same race right. families it's mm-hmm. like that that's a thing people when they do the casting is crazy yeah. right. and i'm like now i always critique this when you talk about casting i actually want to uh, ask you about that as well i always stare when they cast black families it just always makes me go who did this why do we have a dark skin, two dark skin parents with all light skin children? <laughs> right. this, I always just look at it, even if it's a commercial. I mean, yeah. I, I'm always like, I get it. This is a shorter thing. It's not that deep, but it always makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. As a black person, I'm like, this is just so not realistic. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not buying into the story you're telling me because you have two parents that there's no way their child would look like that. It's just little <laughs> things like that. I notice as a black person that they always make me laugh. But absolutely, yeah. 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 So yeah, there's there's like a, I mean there's a lot that goes into it, and we'll probably dive into it a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, so with the, with this particular project that I was working on, um, our our black actor. Um, oh, so yeah, I re- we originally were gonna have a black couple, right? And so I had already hired a black hair and makeup artist. Okay. Um, and then they dropped the the lady, and we just had the guy. But he had mentioned, and he's he's worked on a lot of like commercials all over the country. Like a ton he his resume is huge mm. um and he said that this was the first time ever that he has had a black hair and makeup artist really? that's wild and it was in utah no, yeah. right. of all places of all places we, we gave you what you were looking for yeah. in this right. state <laughs> and it was just like wild to him and he was like wow like that is so cool mm. but also like sad <laughs> yeah, right absolutely. yeah how long like how long has he been has he been acting did you know uh, I don't know, but I would okay. imagine at least 10 years. I think he's okay. like in his late 30s. Wow. Okay. Um, so yeah, at, at least 10 years. He's been like acting, modeling, and yeah, yeah it's just it's just wild to me. That is, I'm yeah. just like, man. And again, it's like, I mean, it's important to me. And so like, of course, I'm like, I, I make it a priority, but I want everyone to just like be aware. And I think a lot of it is like, they either don't care or they're unaware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and either way, it needs to be fixed. A hundred percent. Yeah. Dang. So tell us a bit more about Epoca and like why you why you started that. Oh my goodness! So so yeah, Epoca, Epoca is um, it's a nonprofit um, where we our mission is to increase the um, visibility of diverse storytellers and increase the talent pool of BIPOC actors here in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that by providing affordable training and resources hmm. to to actors of color that may not be able to access hmm. these resources normally. Because um, I think traditionally, um, if we take into account like culture and like socioeconomic status and just like white supremacy in general, right? <laughs> like we actors, I mean, people of color already are like kind of like, behind with a lot of things and so when it comes to like actors it's like yeah it's like if you want to act and you're you know you're brown it's it's like it's hard because so many facts there's so many extra obstacles that you have to consider and and that you have to face that our white counterparts don't even have to think about yeah um like growing up even though i did grow up with a with i think a decent amount of privilege with my dad being being white and having a um and my given name being like a white last name Mm. like even then, I wouldn't have been able to afford a lot of like 
acting workshops or trainings oh, growing super up. Expensive. And I, and I can only imagine like thinking about like my cousins who are immigrants. It's like, there's no way, there's no way yeah. they would have been able to access this training if they wanted to pursue acting. Right. And so there's a lot of like barriers to entry as mm. an actor of color, if you want to mm. go into the arts or if you want to be a creative. Um, and so it's like, yeah, if you, if you have natural talent, that's great. But like, how do you foster that? How do you like, how do you train yourself up to to level up and to become yeah. better and and it's just hard it, it just hard and even if you are really good and you like are part of your like school plays and musicals like there's biases from like the directors or the programs there mm-hmm. that they're like are they actually like going to cast you and stuff or are they just going to like make you the tree or like you know are you just ensemble like are they actually going to like yeah. see the talent you have and like build you up and, and help give you those opportunities so that you can learn and grow. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, no, not really. I mm. mean, for me, in my experience, like in, in musicals and plays, like I was always the comedic relief and that's often like mm. a side or supporting character. Right. Um, which is fine. Cause I like, I like those parts. Like, I feel like if I was the protagonist, it's like a lot of pressure, yeah. but if I wanted to be the protagonist, like would they have given that to me or, or mm. not? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And like, observing what i've observed over the years it's like the it's unlikely yeah <laughs> but oh anyways so yeah so um epoca epoca that's right thanks i go mm. on yeah, no, i'll, I'll go on many no i love it no i love hearing i'm like this is so mm. true um i side note my best friend was um Oh my gosh, she's like the one that called. She in high school, she was like the one that called the shots during plays. Uh-huh. Um, she like the is, stage manager. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, that was like her identity. And so because of it, I saw a lot of plays and such. And my high school was really diverse. And I feel like they actually did a really good job of not doing that. And they really tried to have diverse casting in what they did. And they really like I like I'm like freshman year there was like a white and black protagonist you know what I mean like I'm just thinking about like we always had they really tried to diversify based on like what I saw in my experience at my high school and so I feel like that was a good example but thinking of a place like Utah where you know seeing that like an experience for high schoolers here that might be very different especially um, when you look at the numbers and, and stuff that they're dealing with here in the schooling system. Yeah. Yeah. And even thinking like, I feel like even if there is like a BIPOC student that, that has talent, like that has a beautiful voice and they can act. Yeah. It's like, they might get overlooked because there's, you know, this white girl that has been, her parents have put her in a ton of vocal classes mm. and voice lessons and mm-hmm. they've trained her up. And so it's like, oh, well, she's better she's stronger she's more talented mm. so it's like yeah we're gonna cast her mm. and it's like well this bipoc student like they didn't may not have had access to that they yeah. may have not had those trainings and one-on-ones yeah. you know so like there's a lot of like these things mm. that like put us naturally back behind behind the rest that can afford yeah and these, it's like if we trainings. all had the same starting point you know we'd be we would have been at the same level i might have been better than you when we started yeah. you know what i mean like mm. might have had more you know natural ability but because you know, your parents have the ability to cultivate something in you, which takes a lot of privilege and a lot of time for your parents to be able to say, hey, I see this in my child and I have the resources to now support them in this endeavor. Maybe something they just could be interested in it, too. Um, and being able to do that is just you really have to be in a place of privilege to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. wild. It's mm-hmm. wild. Um So, yeah. So, Epoca. <laughs> We're getting there. We'll get Fourth there. We'll get there. Charm. Here we go. Um, so what what helped me 
what kind of sparked the idea of, of Epoca and like creating this this space where we can train up the BIPOC uh, talent here in Utah was uh, summer of 2020, which was, you know, the great awakening for many of us. <laughs> um, and it really put a magnifying glass on like a lot of issues uh, specifically for me and like my industry and the film industry and the acting spaces I was in. And there was, uh, there's this, there's a lot of production companies here in Utah. Like there's a ton, there's always something filming. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's this one, uh, production company that was like pretty big. They're, they're known for making a lot of big budget, like funny commercials. And they, um, I had a, a, a woman of color, a friend, uh, who's a woman of color, who was telling me how she was auditioning for this role and they were seeking specifically a woman of color to be their spokesperson mm. in this long form ad. And uh, she didn't get it. And she found out that they cast a white woman instead. Mm. And then I was like, wait, hold up. They specifically were looking for a woman of color to be the spokesperson wow. because the client had requested it, but then the production company like, ended up casting a white woman and like i know the the lady and she's awesome she's talented she's amazing right. you're like yeah. but i'm just yeah. like what happened so i reached out to to one of the guys that work there mm -hmm. and i was like hey what happened and they're like oh well we couldn't find anyone good enough i'm like that's why you're like she's you, good enough you yeah i'm like you couldn't find anyone good enough i know five people off the top of my right. head that are amazing that are more yeah. than good enough how mm. what, are, what are you saying yeah, like, yeah. what standard are you judging them by you know? yeah and i was like you gotta be kidding me and i was like so frustrated and so annoyed yeah that i'm like what can we do like what what is what what do we have in our power to like do to like make a change make yeah. a difference mm. and so me and this um this actor friend of mine we, we were like what if we like create a space where we can like train each other up and like level up yeah. and stuff and we're like yeah let's do that and so i um reached out to some other actors of color that i've you know seen or have worked with that are like really great and so we we founded this this nonprofit, this workshop to like to really just level up our community and like provide trainings and and information that that no one else is providing us um and it's been really cool to see how much growth has occurred in the community over the last few years and how people come in and take our classes and leave feeling like more confident in themselves, mm. believing in themselves, um, just being more aware of the obstacles that they will face if they're newer. Yeah. Um, and like just going full steam ahead, like, all right, let's, let's take this on, let's tackle it. And it's been cool to see a lot of these alumni like doing things like they're crushing it they're like booking projects they're they're headlining shows they're you know flying across the country to do this one gig and it's like it's so cool and i love it mm. and so it's, it's been really cool to see uh the success come from from yeah. epoca yeah um so yeah it's cool also i just thought of a little funny nerdy thing when i was thinking of the the name for this group i was like trying to find words that had like poc in it and Epoca has oh, that. Oh, yeah, it does. It <laughs> and it's does. just like a little nerdy thing. But That's then cool. also like the word Epoca in Spanish means like a distinct period in time mm. or like a new era. And so it's like Epoca is like it's a new era for actors of color. It's yeah. like it's our time to like shine, to level up, to like no longer be unrecognized and right. overlooked. That's really deep. Um, I like that. So, no, I love that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. <laughs> and, and I love that you saw a need in the community that is really niche, right? And 
um, you'd found a way to serve and to show up for those people because I feel like that's what a lot of people of color do. That, that's what we do, right? We see needs and we're like, how can I show up and support um, not just me, myself, but like the people coming into this so they don't have to have the same challenges I do, which I always appreciate about, you know, the black community, other, you know, uh, brown communities that we're always wanting to help the next generation and wanting them to have a better position and whatever passions or things that they have or that they want to pursue. And and we're there to make sure it will be a little better for them. And so I love that. Um, I'm like, I feel kindred spirit with that just because that's what, you know, we're not hundred percent doing with black menaces, but in our own way, we're trying to bring more awareness to what's happening in colleges and universities for the rising diverse population of students that's coming into um, universities. Uh, so yeah, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's been, yeah, it's been great. I've, I've really loved what it's done. And, and it's cool too, because, um, as a producer, I, I have seen a struggle like finding, um, older actors mm. of color that have skill or, mm. or talent. And, and so I'm like, okay, this also kind of serves that need where it's like, okay, I can, I can provide training and resources to, um, you know, actors that are 50 plus in age that might not have a lot of experience and like give them the tools that they, they need so that they can be better options for people when they need, you know, an older person in a thing. Um, Cause I think, I mean, in general, it's hard finding older people that are really talented <laughs> and then like finding older people of color that are really talented. It's like the pool's just smaller. Yeah. Um, but I want to make that pool larger. Yeah. And so this is, I think it's serving like a lot of generations, whether it's like newer or older, it's like, it's okay, been, it's been cool that. to like see people come through and I'm like, oh my goodness, they are amazing. They're so incredible. And I don't know if anyone has seen them the way that we see them and the potential that they have to embody these different characters and to like fill these roles that are so rich and beautiful and complex. And, um, and I, they leave and I'm like, I hope, I hope people see them for how we see them. Cause like, there's so much potential there. Um, and seeing someone like that can change like their trajectory, like career trajectory. Someone that might feel like, you know, there's no hope for me or there's no way. Um, just because my little sister, she's a dancer. She lives in L.A. and she's had a lot of opposition and, and challenges as she, you know, is a darker woman. You know, she feels like her body type doesn't match what, you know, they want and stuff. And so having someone or an organization like yours, believing in someone and giving them that hope really could make a difference. And I, I wish she had a community like that in L.A. for um, dancers. And I'm trying to encourage her to find some because there hopefully are some out there because um, I think that people need those spaces um, because like the industry can feel like it's just knocking you down. Like they they don't want to see you in or they don't mm-hmm. want you in. Mm-hmm. You need those spaces that are building you up and people that are going to see you for what you really can bring so you can remind yourself of the value you have. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Speaking speaking of L.A., you, you would think that L.A. would have, like, would know how to do things. <laughs> yeah. Think. Right? Like, that's where you a lot of things think, yeah. are happening. And yeah, like, a lot of things are happening there. Right? And, but it's like, I feel like they are sometimes even more problematic than like mm. more oh, predominantly white spaces just because it's like, you should know better. Yeah. Mm. And at least with white spaces, what I always say is they know that they've got problems. That's what I always say. You know, they're like, you know, yeah, we got to kind of work on that. You know, they're like, number wise, you got us. But in places like, you know, in LA, it can feel like, oh, well, we're doing okay. Like, we've got, 
we've got the people coming in number wise. So we're okay. And it makes people kind of check out of um, being able to check their own biases and mm-hmm. think that they're exempt from those things. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I have a story. Um, uh, so this last fall, uh, someone reached out to me um, She and she's based in LA. Um, she's uh, of Asian an- ancestry and she was like finding a look, trying to find a space like Epoca, that mm. the community of of actors of color that you know have a shared experience. Yeah, and and she wanted to like know how to navigate the industry as as a person of color. And uh, and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like we don't like we're in Utah. Like you right. know, and, and it's crazy that like someone from LA is like right. reaching out to a Utah mm. group mm. to yeah. to like to like find a home or like find access yeah. to training and stuff. And but. Uh, she told me a story that like made me so upset. And then we offer ended up offering like a big webinar for like her and her like group of, of, uh, actors of color friends mm-hmm. in her area. Um, but the story that like really irked me was she was studying acting at, at a, at a liberal college and, um, she noticed that she and her other friends who were also Asian, um, weren't ever getting like interesting roles or like mm-hmm. protagonist roles or or like juicy meaty right you know mm-hmm. scripts and uh, whereas their white counterparts were always getting like the lead or the ro- romantic interest or mm-hmm. whatever and she one of her friends uh, a white friend um approached the the teacher and was like hey why what's going on here like what's and then he's like oh I'm just trying to prepare you guys for the real world because all you're ever going to get are subservient roles. That's crazy. Not the mouth drop. I said, wow. And I'm like, what? And he's like, that's just the reality. It's like, you're not going to get, you're not going to get the lead role. Like you're, you're going to get these side characters. So I'm preparing you for that. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. How are they supposed to get better if you're not giving them the opportunity to get better? You need to give them the roles of the lead or the romantic interest or whatever, because then they will grow and they will develop those skills so that in the real world, they can get those roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh my goodness. And like at a liberal college too. It's like it's, yeah. it doesn't matter if you're a liberal conservative place. Oh, it's like no, 100 percent is is, is yeah. wild to me. And that's just such a narrow-minded perspective to take on life, too. Because really anything is possible. Like mean, we saw the the success that everything everywhere all at once mm-hmm. you know, had. And before then it was crazy rich Asians, which you know, like um, I feel like Asian people are just now starting to get more opportunities in film, whereas they weren't before. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but like it's because nobody is giving those giving them those opportunities, you know. And same thing with with indigenous people. I think that that's something that still needs to happen. But like, I want to talk about that a little bit later on because I watched Echo and man, I love that show. It was good. But anyway, sorry. You can go back. No, yeah, I I completely agree. And it, and it and like, I think that's one thing that for me, like I we just need more diverse stories being told mm-hmm. because it's like why keep seeing the same of the same. You know, yeah. it's like, I, I think about like all the remakes that they make and I'm like, what will make the remake that much more interesting is like, let's, let's change up the casting. Like, yeah. why does it have to be a, another white story or like a white dude with love falling in love with a white girl? It's like, mm-hmm. I've seen that. And like, yeah. it can, might come across as like mean or insensitive, but I'm like, I'm tired of those stories. Like mm-hmm. I've I think, seen it. I think a lot of people are tired of those stories. Yeah, like the movies that I feel like that do the best right now are interesting stories that we haven't heard you know what i mean i don't know mm-hmm. i mean there's always going to be the the action movies with white men mm-hmm. that's its own category but i won't speak on that but you know um i just think that people are craving those unique 
stories. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I feel like if what makes it that much more interesting, even if it is a story that we've seen before or like we we know what's going to happen, you know, it's like love a rom-com. <laughs> yeah, like any rom-com, it's like it's like we know what's going to happen, you know, but what make what spices it up that much more is having a diverse cast or having yeah. a diverse protagonist. Yeah. And and that alone already makes it that much more interesting because we haven't seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what I really like that I've seen a lot recently, because I think there is progress being made industry-wide, where we are seeing um, people of different cultures and backgrounds being represented, mm-hmm. and we're also seeing their culture represented. Right. Which and is it, huge, too. Which is huge and amazing huge and beautiful. And it's like, yes, it's like, I love that. I love celebrating that. And a lot of times, like, the culture isn't the story. Like, the story is about this person, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But the person is from that culture, so the culture is present. And by default, we are now learning about the culture as well. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. And so like some of the bigger, like more pop pop culture stuff that comes to mind are like um, uh, Miss Marvel, who yes. she's like Pakistani mm-hmm. and like Muslim. And like, it's just such a beautiful, vibrant, different story mm-hmm. that like we wouldn't have had all that if it was just like about a white girl. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like even if the white girl's from like, you know, Europe, you know, with Europe culture, it's like, we're, we know that stuff. We, yeah. we, we already have seen that. Seen but like Miss Marvel, that's, I mean, a lot, a lot of people didn't like it for whatever reason, but I loved it because it was like, mm-hmm. it was so unique, so different. And it just like dove into like yeah. the, the, the beautiful colors and, and the vibrancy of, of who she was mm-hmm. as a young Muslim teenager. Um, another one that like really impacted me a lot um, was both Black Panther movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, I think it had, I mean, obviously it had a huge effect with the with the black community. And yeah. it was just like, oh, finally, yeah. it's mm-hmm. like, finally we have like a hero on the, on the yes. poster on the screen that looks like us, right? right? And for me, what it did is like, I often, at that time, there weren't really any Latino or Latinx superheroes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but for me, it's like, oh, wow. A superhero of color. It's like I can relate to that. Right. I'm not black, but mm-hmm. I I can right. resonate. And it's like it's something that I, I'm drawn to because it's not more of the same. And right. and and for me, I'm like, wow. It like it did something to me, and I can only imagine what it did to the black the, to the black community. Right. And then when I saw Wakanda Forever, so the mm-hmm. sequel, yeah. it's like okay, here we are, and here my people and my culture was represented. Yeah. And never in, in my way. life have I ever seen my ancestors portrayed on the big screen like this right if at all mm-hmm. yeah and like how cool and like yeah i guess they were like the antagonists but mm-hmm. <laughs> but i like, know some people have done like their own pieces on like why are they not they given the they have two people of yeah. color fighting on the screen <laughs> what's going on i have my feelings <laughs> yeah. about that like yeah. there, there's there's you know some some problematic things with that but but at the end of the day i'm like i'm just glad right i'm just glad i finally like see my features on screen right yeah. and like and 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 the, uh, yeah i just like it, it just gets me so emotional and excited because even like their profiles like just their yeah. noses and their mm-hmm. foreheads i'm like <gasps> i was like that's i have that right that's, me. that's like that's my my family that's that's what we look like mm-hmm. and i'm like how come i've never experienced that before yeah on this scale because yeah. like yes there's like stories about latinos about immigration or about you know mm-hmm. the drug cartel and like stuff like that, like stereotypical stuff that like I guess those are 
you know, based on real stories sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, it's a good place to start. It's a good like, place to start. Like at least at least there's stuff yeah. there, right? But that's like, how I am. I'm like, no more slave movies. No <laughs> oh more. I'm like, have... we've got enough. I don't think we need any more teaching about. Mo- or we don't need no more Twelve Years a Slave. The, J- the Django no, no, no. Unchained. I'm like, well, I don't. Okay, I do love Django. Okay, that's they a good. Did. I'm not saying it's not a bad movie, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying though those stories are mm-hmm. they're important to tell but i think we've told them yes and i think that you know we want to recreate it every couple you know once every five once every 10 years okay you know mm-hmm. i'm gonna support it but i like what you were saying the stories where um their whole identity is not the story yeah it's a story mm-hmm. told through their perspective mm-hmm. which is why i loved um the movie everything everywhere all at once i was literally crying mm-hmm. at the end of that i'm like oh my gosh or even um elemental did you guys see that movie by disney oh my gosh watch it. it it's not they don't it's it's not race because it's like an animation they're like um elements but it's the idea of like people from different backgrounds right mm-hmm. and i just love both of those movies because i feel like they they're telling the story about people in in life transitions figuring themselves out having struggles which is something that's a human experience but told through the lens of like their culture um mm. and it's very relatable you know like i was yeah. never like i didn't watch either of those being like oh my gosh this is too much or like I- i'm not understanding it's like wow i'm learning about something a little different but also i'm like this resonates with me as a black woman like i feel this very heavily in my own life um and i cried in both of those movies so mm. Come on, Disney pushing the woke agenda. What'd you say? I said, come on, Disney pushing the woke agenda. (laughs) Disney does a good job. Let me tell you, Element, I was very shook by that movie. Have you seen it? Uh, No, but I... It's on my watch list. You gotta watch it. Uh, I tell everyone, that's my recommendation early, is watch that movie, because it really had me... I did not know I was gonna cry about a movie about clouds. Like, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I mean, speaking... Oh, uh, I'll finish my thought, and then I'll go back to Disney. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. We want to hear about Um, your experiences with the Book of Mormon. Oh, my goodness. There's... That's all kinds of tea to be spilled there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so yeah. So, uh, going back to, like, yeah, it's like, we, as people of color, or, like, uh, or with me specifically, like, Latinos, like, we're so much more than just, like, immigration yep. or like deportation or like drug cartel and like, you know, mm-hmm. like gangs and stuff. It's like, there's, we are so much more complex than that. We're so much more than that. And like, most of us aren't even part of that. Right. Right. It's like, that's just all the media wants to focus on. And then that affects how people view us in real life. And so when they see us, they just assume, you know, we're smuggling, whatever. And it's like, what, what the heck? I was born and raised here. I'm not, I, I don't even know what drugs are, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so like that. And so I'm like, it, it's just wild to me that like, yeah, it's like we, uh, I, I want people to see others as like human because yeah. that's what we are. Mm-hmm. Right. And like being able to t- tell these unique stories from a different lens or a different perspective, it helps us as a viewer, as an audience member, see these individuals as human to fall in love with them and to like grow an empathy for them. Mm. And in turn, it affects how we view people in our everyday. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's like if we see more black and brown men in action movies, it's like that that's going to change how we view black and brown men, you know? Yeah. Because how do we, how do the majority of people view black and brown men? How they're depicted on screen. Mm-hmm. How are they often depicted as screen on screen as a criminal, as a scary guy, as, mm-hmm. you know, this or that. And it's like, that's not that's not true that doesn't reflect reality yeah mm-hmm. and so um so yeah i just want people to to tell more stories of humans and have those humans reflect what the world actually looks like amen yeah. 
Love that. Um, okay, Disney. going to Disney, uh, and then Book of Mormon. Um, so uh, I love. I mean, I think a lot, specifically with a lot of the animation recently, yeah. like they've been telling such beautiful like stories, beautiful stories about like culture and like powerful women that aren't tied to men. Yeah. Like I love Moana and Encanto mm -hmm. and um, most recently Wish. Where it's like I haven't seen I haven't Wish. Seen Wish. I need to there's see no, there's no like love interest. Like yeah. you don't need no man to like yeah. tell the story. And I think that's amazing, and I love it. Yeah. Um, speaking of Wish, uh, it's there's mixed reviews of like it as a movie in general. Yeah, I have. I did see it was like mixed reviews that, yeah. of some people were coming for the animation more so uh -huh. um, than mm -hmm. anything. But that was like one TikTok video I saw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like there's there's mixed reviews. I went into it like not expecting much because of the, the poor reviews. Yeah, yeah. But I left like feeling wowed and mm -hmm. like refreshed and amazed and I cried. Oh my gosh, and I'm crying at these Disney these movies. <laughs> I cannot watch Coco. It oh has yeah, no. Wrecked every Please. Time. Yeah. Coco's just like set, you're setting <laughs> yeah. yourself up. Like, yeah. come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is wild. Yeah. I, I cry easily in movies for sure. So. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like I mean it shouldn't always be an indicator of a good movie, but like if you Agreed. cry, it's they did something right. You no, hundred percent. Like they touched you and they moved you, and mm -hmm. that's that's a, a powerful element of storytelling, mm -hmm. which I think is is amazing. Um, so with, with, uh, with wish, I heard, I was talking to someone and they were complaining about how, how they're like, well, I didn't, I didn't like it because they didn't, they didn't like tie, uh, Asha, who's the main character, the protagonist, they didn't tie her to like any culture or anything. Like, so there was no culture around it. Like, whereas in Canto and like Coco, like there's beautiful culture and stuff. I was like, and I was like, well, that's what I loved about wish is like, it had nothing to do with her being biracial or mm. with her being black or with her culture like it was just a story about a, a woman who wanted to change some stuff and had a dream and had a wish mm. that's mm. it yeah and like why can't we have a story like yeah. that and she also be a woman of color yeah. right mm -hmm. you know it's like that alone was like so um impactful to me and i want more stories like that it's like it's just a normal story yep. and the protagonist just happens to be a person mm -hmm. of color because why not? Just yeah. existing, yeah. Yeah, because mm -hmm. people of color have dreams too. Yeah. People of color live lives too. It's like, why can't we just see those stories and it have nothing to do with like their culture or background? Mm -hmm. Not to say that, you know, having stories with culture and background is bad because I love that too. Right. But it's like, it just it just is meaningful and powerful. Yeah. One of my favorite movies um, is Yesterday. Mm. It stars Himesh Patel. And it's, uh, he's I think he's the only person of color in the movie. But uh, uh, it, it, the story is about him. He's a musician and like something happens and like the entire world forgets about the Beatles and their music, but, oh, he, but he, but he knows movie. it. Oh, and that so would be a he, wild move to see yeah, this. So see then, life yeah. without their influence. I remember when this came out. I, this sounds very familiar. Anyway, yeah, sorry, it, it's, it's a great film. It's, it's very well made and very fun. Um, and then, so he, he remembers them though. And so he starts like playing their music and then he like rises to stardom because it's like these oh amazing gosh. lyrics and this music. Right. That's cool. And so it's like, yeah, it's like, what would the world be like without, you know, the Beatles and then mm -hmm. someone like remembering it and whatever. Yeah. Uh, but what I love the most about this film is like, here's this Indian British man as the protagonist. And that's it. I'm like, mm -hmm. it could have very easily been a white dude. Just like a lot of those films are like about, right. mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, they decided to cast Himish Patel and he did amazing. And like, I loved it. And I'm like, that's, that's what I want more of. I want more stories that like, it's like, yeah, anyone could play it, but they are proactive about casting a person of color because mm -hmm. why not?
Why not? Yeah. That's one of the things I loved about the TV show Insecure is that it was just, oh it gosh, didn't necessarily have insecure. to do with culture or racism. It was just white people existing in LA, or I'm sorry, black people existing black people, in LA, yeah. um, just as themselves. And I love that about that story, you know? So yeah, the kind of the same thing that you're saying. It's, it's good to just see people of color just existing mm -hmm. and not necessarily like having to be tied to a struggle or to a culture or anything like that. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways. Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, I don't even know. You you share what you think is irrelevant. I don't know. I don't know much about it. <laughs> and this will be the last thing, so we'll, we'll wrap it up after this. But okay. Let's hear um, there's all kinds of hot goss here. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, okay, so I... Um, so yeah, I was part of the Book of Mormon series that, that the LDS Church produced. Um, and it, it was this very big project, a huge undertaking to essentially um put on video these different stories of the book of mormon and for those who don't know the book of mormon is an ancient account of um the indigenous peoples of ancient america and their faith in christ and like the gospel of jesus christ here and here in the americas um and so you think about that and it's like okay ancient america okay that's like indigenous people of the americas aztecs yeah. mm -hmm. you know mayans brown people brown people mm. <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah brown people um which yeah which, the church doesn't have a, a lot uh i mean they do but okay let me be quiet let you talk <laughs> <laughs> um and so it's like this huge project they pumped a ton of money into it a ton of resources and like the final product is like, I mean, these are well produced films. Oh, yeah. Like they look I was, good. I was on my mission when they when they started coming out, and I was like, just slowly, like you know, I was there for like the first like first Nephi when it came mm -hmm, out, mm -hmm. like being able to show those. Like I was like that, like seeing them come out, it was really crazy. Yeah, it's I like, stopped watching when I got to Alma because I mean, you're sure you'll probably talk about it, but everybody, like all of the the you know background extras and everything like that, they were all brown and then Alma was a white guy and I was just like mm, I think I'm okay after this but <laughs> you can yeah so that, that's the biggest thing where I feel like they missed the mark is in casting mm -hmm. um they didn't cast correctly mm -hmm. I mean they they whitewashed a lot of these characters that are ancient American prophets and and people that should be brown like they should be indigenous they should be brown brown yeah. people and and yeah they, they just whitewashed it all over the place from mm. the very beginning from first nephi yeah. oh really and like because even with first yeah. nephi i don't like, even it was so long ago since i've seen them so i'm like i don't even was, was like white weren't they yeah, yeah it's like Who? an entirely white family Nephi's yeah it was family. except layman yeah had uh, darker features <laughs> yeah <laughs> which it's interesting how they'll still deny that you know oh the, the dark skin curse but then they'll put in like subtle things like that where it's like oh the one who had the the curse is the one that's darker than everyone you know just interesting things yeah like it's so. is wild <laughs> yeah. and so it's like yeah it's like here we are it's like with first nephi it's like it takes place in the middle east you know mm -hmm. and and it's like middle eastern people aren't caucasian at all at all it's like mm -hmm. they're all they have darker features they're olive skinned yeah um and it's like i don't know what happened so anyways um so that my yeah my biggest issue is like they the the casting and and I mean, I don't want to throw the casting department under the bus because I know them personally and they're incredible people. And they, I think they really tried hard. Mm -hmm. They really tried hard. Like in a lot of the casting calls they sent out and that I received, it's like they were asking for people 
who have ancestry from, yeah, I've seen from like from I, I've seen the, I saw the, cast, the casting calls like they they were specific in them mm-hmm. yeah they were specific it's like they were looking for like brown people they yeah were looking for Latinos they 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 and over time they started opening um yeah. widening the scope to like include Pacific Islanders yep. and like you know that like you know just to get more options mm-hmm. but I but then you see what ends up happening it's like oh they cast a bunch of white dudes in mm-hmm. these in these the main speaking parts yeah. and then the the secondary or the supporting characters are brown mm-hmm. and especially if they're wicked or evil mm-hmm. yeah they are brown yeah. and then the extras are brown but like right. the main speaking parts the protagonists the prophets yeah. mm-hmm. they're all white and i'm like what and that i mean there's that's problematic for many reasons yeah it it um it uh pushes the narrative that like whiteness is holy mm-hmm. and good mm-hmm. and like brownness or darkness is not yeah which is awful and terrible and 100 not true um and then the other issue is that um for for me like with what we've kind of talked about with epoca and stuff it's like why are they not giving more opportunities to actors of color yeah. to fill these roles right and i think part of the issue is that they wanted all their actors to be temple worthy they did and like recommend holding yep i remember seeing that on the call the casting call too and so i'm like okay so you want brown people but they have to be active members of the church and hold a temple recommend it's like you that pool of talent is so small and so narrow yeah it's like you don't have any options yeah who did you think was gonna apply right it's like, like yeah. <laughs> y'all have the access to the records don't y'all know how many people like will fall into that category it's just not a lot yeah it's, it's like not... the same thing with at byu that's the same like requirements to work there mm-hmm. and so it's like we don't have diverse faculty and staff because the amount of people with a phd is really small in life you know in the world and then like within that small pool of people who you know can be professors you're asking for a drop in the bucket almost type pool of people like that's just not a lot yeah is 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 awful and like towards the end because they they were doing this working on this project i think close to 10 years um which is a huge undertaking yeah but towards the end i i don't know for sure but i had heard that they finally opened up to like non-members of the church oh they did Mm -hmm. okay i didn't know about that okay and and it's like well you should have done that from the beginning from the beginning because it doesn't doesn't matter it doesn't it's like why do you need to be a member of the church to act in this video right. yeah it's like i mean on set it was like yeah they started with the prayer like it was like mm-hmm. they were trying to make it like a very reverent holy space right, yeah. right. and you but, can find plenty of religious actors you know yeah who are willing to play those roles and yeah because I, I don't well. think a non-religious actor would be like yes let me go portray somebody from scripture i don't know i don't know i'm just guessing like that's not what they're searching towards versus someone who's just religious overall would respect what the Book of Mormon represents and um, what it means to the people the, who are going to watch the videos. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, it, it, yeah, it's just, is awful. Um, so, okay. I need to keep, that was just the intro. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Come so on. sorry. Okay. So that's just like context into like my experience. <clears throat> and I'm going to keep my experience brief because I think there's like juicier stuff that I observed of others that um that highlights more of the problems um so so something that they asked a lot of people who were interested in being part of these videos is they wanted them to like grow out their hair and grow out their facial hair okay um for an indefinite amount of time in the event that you get cast and so i was i started growing out my hair um i think it was like 2017 and 
it was 2019 that I got cast. So two years I was growing out my hair wow. and then my facial hair too. I was like, it was getting nasty. So I had to trim that <laughs> out a bit. But, uh, <laughs> but I finally got cast and I show up to set. Oh, I got cast as Evil Priest One oh, in okay. King Noah's Court. Okay. So, so King Noah's Court, Evil Priest One. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, but I was happy. I was like, fine. I'd been auditioning for for forever for several years, and I was like, okay, cool. I got a, a role with mm-hmm. some lines. Yeah, right. And so I show up, and um, and they were ready to like shave me Wait, what the clean, hell? like my face, and absolutely also, like, not, and also cut my hair. And I was like, no. whoa, 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 hold up, what's right. going on? And they're like, oh, well, we have to do this. I was like, Why? no one told me. Yeah, no like, y'all said to grow it out. Yeah. It's like no you one did told it for two years. Uh-huh. So I'm like, isn't this the vibe y'all are going for? I'm confused. Right. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I was looking around at a lot of the extras, and they were like, I mean, like shaving the sides of their hair, oh. like giving them like very like ancient American like indigenous haircuts yeah. and looks mm. and vibes. Some I people that had happened like, too. They just like butchered his head to yeah. make it, you know historical <laughs> yeah they're like oh it's historically accurate and yeah. i was like one guy's like a bowl cut type thing but like shaved up to here and, like, uh, other people have all this stuff and they wanted to like shave my hair like from here to here oh uh, all around but then keep the length up top and then oh. be able to do whatever to, right, to right, the top right, right, right. Okay, yeah. and then i was like no 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 like i have a gig next week that pays more than this yeah and i need my mustache and i need my hair because yeah. they that's what they cast mm-hmm. right and it pays more than what you guys are paying me you're like you thought <laughs> yeah and so they got all upset and like they thought i was being a diva and all this and i was like i'm not trying to like cause problems but like it was never communicated right. to me you yeah you guys never said that stuff. they never said that in the casting did they no no mm. and and when they offered me the role they should have specified oh by right. the way we want you to like we, yeah. we want to make adjustments to your hair facial hair right. stuff like that right so like if i would have been known then yeah i, w- I could have then accepted or denied the right the con- exactly yeah, because you get roles based off of your appearance and that was your appearance for two years yeah mm-hmm. yeah exactly so i'm like that's your <laughs> livelihood excuse me right. uh-huh and so and they're like paying me a measly little amount i'm like okay anyway so this, there was issues and like i was holding up the production and they were waiting for me because i was like pushing back and then like someone came to me and they're like well we have to do something with your facial hair with specifically your mustache because you look like a spaniard and like spaniards weren't in ancient america and i'm like oh my gosh and so and it was late at night it was a night shoot so i couldn't call my agent mm-hmm. to like be my advocate Oh my god! Because she was sleeping. The pressure. And so I was like, it was, I was put in this like position where I'm like, I don't know what to do. I like, I felt belittled. I felt mm. like I was the one in the wrong. They were like pointing fingers, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like I, I, oh. uh, you know, like you guys don't. I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah. And so finally, we like negotiated, and we're like, okay, we'll only cut a little bit here because with my hair's down, then you can't tell. But if my hair's up, then you'll see that it's like shaved halfway or whatever mm. and then i let them like do a little bit to my facial hair and then finally i go into the hair and makeup trailer and then the hair and makeup ladies are often like your best friends on set yeah but these ones were like making fun of me and they oh, were geez. like they were like saying like you you really shouldn't be this difficult like you should be willing to change your look for roles we worked on this project with simon Pegg, and he changed his look he gained all this this he lost all this weight for this role and i'm like Ooh. okay but that's simon Pegg. yeah he's like an a-lister like I'm not like yeah. you're not paying me what you're paying him. Yeah, it's like yeah. What's who's that guy that was in Lincoln? Is that um, uh, Daniel Day Lewis? Yeah. If we were doing something like that, yes, ma'am. Right? I, what do I need to do? I'll do whatever <laughs> you ask me. Those workout programs they have for Marvel, okay. Marvel heroes. Uh-huh. Okay. 
Yeah. But that's not that's not what we're doing here, babe. Stop. No. Don't hype it up. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, there's all those big to do. I finally get on set and like the director's annoyed and everyone's annoyed because I was literally holding up production. Oh my gosh, that was too much for me. And then I get there and then the wardrobe stylist puts this like turban hat thing on my head that like covers practically everything. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. So you guys How made this big to do about my hair and I let you shave some of it. And then you cover it all up anyways. And I was like, so there was no communication between the departments. They literally put me through this thing where I'm like, I felt like terrible. And, and then they, they just do that. And then I look at the other priests, like the other evil priests, and there's all kinds of facial hair. There's all kinds of lengths of hair. They didn't do anything to oh, them. No. So they I was like, oh, they, I would have That's when I have to turn into like a black Karen because... <laughs> I'm serious. I hate those kind of situations. They make me mad. Mm-hmm. It was wild. So that that was like a terrible experience. And like after I started talking to like some of the extras and same thing. Like they just like they were like cattle essentially going th- or like sheep being like shaved mm-hmm. in, in rows and just like doing whatever to their to their to their faces, to their bodies, to their hairs, uh, to their hair. And like a lot of the extras are like they don't English is their second language if they even mm. speak English because they were pulling a lot from like Spanish wards or like Spanish speaking oh, wow. churches. Oh, yeah. And like they're there, like they're to like serve the Lord and like serve the church to like help make this mm. production. And then they're tr- being treated like like cattle, yeah, like, wow. like animals. And probably being, if they were paid at all, they paid very poorly. Too, yeah. Right? A lot of them were volunteer based. Yeah, so like so a lot does. of them didn't and get And those paid are a lot. That's a lot of work for volunteer. Yeah. yeah and you're getting like a weird bowl cut, like from, yeah. you know, you take five hundred AD BC. <laughs> yeah, it is wild. And and another thing that I didn't like that I observed was like the treatment of the extras. Like that, my my specific director. There there was a lot of directors on the Book of Mormon series, and there was a lot that I heard were like amazing, like really really good and kind and just like loving. The one I had was not none of none of those things, and he just like watching him treat the extras was like. He was so mean and unkind mm. and like telling them like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do it like that. Or like, how come you don't know how to like project or yell? Like, cause there's like groups of people and they're supposed to like hurrah or mm-hmm. chant or whatever. And they're not doing good. And he's getting mad at them. And I was like, well, they're not actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're literally volunteers that yes. have never acted in their life. They just love the Lord. Yeah. They're just there. Yeah. They're just there to like serve and volunteer their time. And then he's like yelling at them, making them feel bad. And here they are like most of them like, Latinos, they don't speak English, mm. but they're here to help like tell this story about their ancestors. Yeah. And then they're being treated like like terribly. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So yeah, that's that's awful. Anyways, uh, okay, fast forward to different set, same, same story. Uh King Noah's court, evil priests. Um Abinadi is the prophet that like King Noah's, you know, like the bad guy and Abinadi is trying to preach to them, whatever. And he's a very Caucasian man. Mm -hmm. And I hear like extras say like, wait, why is he, why is he white? How come he's not Latino? Like the rest of us. And it's like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's because the producers think that, you know, he's, he's righteous. He's the one representing Christ. So of course he's light skinned or or white. Yeah. And everyone else in King Noah's court, I heard brown, various shades of brown and, it's like it's just it's just problematic. It's like yeah. not okay. Um, and then yeah, so that so there's that that was like my specific experience, which again was like awful. And I, I remember coming home early in the morning and like 
like sobbing to my wife. I like broke mm. down, like all this, tra- it was like very traumatic. I, and I it was bet like, it would be. It was just like, it was, I've never felt something like that where I was like belittled and I was like made fun of and I was treated in such a way that I'm like, wow, like, I don't know if I want to do anything for the church again or like, I don't know mm. if I would want to mm. act because I was like so traumatic and terrible experience. So anyways, so there's that. Um, but going back to like the casting issues with with these productions, I there's like some somewhat tangential but related stories where I remember one time uh, when I was in an audition, one of in not the ones that I got, but early early years of Book of Mormon casting, there was a friend who showed up in brownface, and this was in 2018. <laughs> Right, brownface, like, and and it's just not necessary. Like, no. did you think that was going to help you? And the worst part, he got cast. Oh, wow. he got the role. <laughs> so rewarded, he was rewarded for such a problematic action. Yeah, and like everyone else in the room was like actually brown, not him. He wow. shows up in brownface and gets rewarded with the role. That's wild. So when you say brownface, I'm assuming it wasn't like a spray tan, but it was like he took some like paint or something and put it on his face yeah yeah wow. yeah oh my well That's, spray tan would have been bad too that would have been bad but that would have made more sense than painting then, your face brown and right. showing up to a casting That's yeah, yeah. i've seen it's people like, in brown face at the gym they're spray, oof, yeah. they're spray they tans very orange <laughs> yeah so that that was like a thing that i'm like wow i wonder who else did that and yeah. got rewarded mm-hmm. um uh there was one guy who who's a friend um, and he's, he's in a lot of church productions and a lot of like LDS films. And he was talking to me about Book of Mormon videos and he was like complaining that he was sad that he wasn't going to be able to be in them because he's like very white, right? um, blonde and blue eyed. And, and in my mind, I'm like, well, why would you be in them? Like you're, yeah. you don't look like the people yeah. from the Book of Mormon. It's like, I think you can sit this one out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then a few years later, I find out, oh, they cast him as an angel that visits s- some of the people. So I was like, not the angel. Cool. On here, okay. blue eyed. That's what you choose for the angel. Of right. Course, of that, course. that appeared to, you know, the, the Lamanites or the Nephites, whoever, right? the brown people, the indigenous folks. It's like a white angel appears representing God. Mm. Of course. I was like, oh, yeah, why was this guy complaining? Of course he'd get a role in the in this in these videos. They found a way for him. <laughs> and, then, and then and uh, then related to that, I had another friend who is a person of color. He's not Latino um and he was just like like I had been complaining online about about a lot of the casting and stuff. He's mm-hmm. like, dude, it's like I get it, but also like you just got to realize like I I wanted to be in this and like they were trying to get me a part of it but like the producers were like no like there's no way that you would ever have been in ancient America because you're from a different continent entirely. Mm. And and in my mind I'm like okay but he could have been the angel. Yeah. It's he, like it, like okay sure it's like okay you want to cast accurately it's like okay right you can't be in in ancient America you can't be these ancient American prophets but you could have been the angel. But no, they cast white guys, the angel. Right. Also, cast a bunch of white guys as the prophets. So I'm like, mm. don't tell me about you want to cast accurately right. and historically accurate right. when you're already not doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you so, because I felt that way when because they were still rec- filming a little bit. There was like a, the, I think the very end was still left when I got back from my mission. You know, coming back from your mission, you know, you're like, 
I, I want to be in the Book of Mormon stories. You know what I mean? The videos, they're showing these to people. You're going to show me next. And so um, <laughs> I remember I wanted to, like, I was interested in it. And just when I was reading, like, the casting call, I didn't go to anything. But I was like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. Just, mm -hmm. like, I'm a black person. I did the same thing. I read the casting call. And I was like, they wouldn't take me. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I don't think they'd want me. I'm like, I think I'm too dark for what they're trying oh, to absolutely. do. Yeah. Um, I would have made a great Lamanite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just like, oh, I don't, I think um, this isn't my group of people either. Mm -hmm. And so that's just interesting that, you know, if like they wanted to be more inclusive, you know, they could have, that could have been a space for someone like me even, right? Um, knowing how many other films we have with white people um, in the, in the churches they circulate. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So it's just, it's just unfortunate. I feel like, um, yeah, they, they did a, a bit of a disservice, I think, to um, to really representing the people of the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. um, and again, they have their excuses. You know, it's like, oh, we're in Utah. Oh, we don't have enough talented brown people. Or like, you know, like, who do we have access to? It's like a lot of these white actors that have been in church productions before. Let's, you know, like, let's darken them up and and with makeup and they can pass. And it's like, I mean, sure. But like, Look at the chosen, like mm. the this the series about Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. and look at their cast. They're right. literally all brown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like and it wasn't hard to do. It wasn't hard to do. It's like, you know, it's like they they made mm -hmm. it work. And and I think that's why it's doing so well because it's like it resonates with people. Here's this this diverse cast of individuals that that look like they actually were mm -hmm. in you know biblical times. And yeah. it's and it's like it was it's it's amazing. It's awesome, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's like, and they could have done that with the Book of Mormon, but but they didn't. And it's unfortunate. And again, yeah. like the videos, they're well produced, but I guess whoever the decision makers were, like who were probably 50 to 80, 90 year old oh, yeah. white dudes in, in an office, they're yeah. like, I don't know. I don't like that that person. Let's bring in my, my, my son instead. Or, you know, I don't yeah. know. No, 100%. <laughs> yeah, knowing who the leadership is and who has the final say, these issues that we're raising would not have even come across their mind. Like they would not have, they wouldn't th have thought any issue or even mm -hmm. raise these concerns themselves because that's the point of like having more diverse spaces is so that the people in the room are like, hey, this is not a good idea. Right. And just knowing the way the decisions are made leadership wise, um, yeah. just know that there's no one in the room who's probably calling that out just mm -hmm. because of the pool of people that are probably the ones, you know, with the final say. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. It's definitely giving Jerry Jones, you know, the, the Cowboys <laughs> owner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and and again I think it goes back to like if if they had done it correctly we would see like the these Book of Mormon heroes that a lot of people they love it's like I love my heroes right mm -hmm. like these 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 different prophets right. and like these people that like in the Book of Mormon they would have seen them as like as who they were which is like brown brown mm -hmm. dudes. Yeah. And how cool is that we're up to this point it's like artwork and like what people have envisioned it's like oh yeah it's, it's a white dude you know it's yeah like captain moroni white always dude built like a bodybuilder too yeah Very i don't know why practical. but yeah. i think they did cast captain moroni as brown which is okay. good okay that's good but again i i, I kind of stopped watching because i was like mm -hmm. i was annoyed i was like oh cool another white dude preaching about christ when it should be a brown guy but mm -hmm. anyways but so i think i think towards the end they started getting better probably because they got a lot of this feedback I would oh assume. and they were like releasing it's like oh mm. sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah interesting oh okay okay i'm so sorry You're i'm good. so sorry i apologize Come on, bring here's us home. here's the the final kicker okay oh, wow right. he's gonna knock us down some more <laughs> <laughs> okay and this is not a, a first-hand account this was told by someone else who 
was on set at the time, but this was when they were filming Jesus appearing to the people in the Americas. So okay. in third Nephi. Right. Um, and this was a big, big to do. Like, it's like Jesus. I mean, appearing. this is the moment. This, this is, is what moment. we've been building towards. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, he's appearing to the people in the Americas. And part of the account is like angels also descend from heaven. Yes. One of the angels cast was a black woman. Okay. Mm. The director had issue with that. Mm. And was pushing back. And one of my friends who was there was like overhearing and like seeing a lot of this stuff. And the director like is like, no, that's I don't want that. Like it's not, it's not right. Or like just like just pushing back towards the fact that this black girl was there and was gonna be an angel. Yeah. And it it got so like uh, I guess heated that the actor playing Jesus, and again, I don't know if this is true. I believe it is because my friend told me and he was there. <laughs> uh, he said that the actor playing Jesus confronted the director and cussed him out. And was like, are you effing kidding me? Mm. You are not considering like getting her out of here. Like right. you, you keep her, right. you do like, it's like, what the heck is like, yeah. what? What do you mean it's not a black angel? Think about what you just said. Think yeah. about that. So black people are not in heaven. That's what you're saying. That's yeah. Wild. Yeah. And I'm just like, how, like what? And I'm like, it, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's like, and I feel like these, these individuals in these positions of power who are directing or creating this content, it's like, you have biases, you have prejudices, mm. and, but you're telling a story about people of color. Mm -hmm. It's like, maybe you shouldn't be the one in charge. Yeah. Right. You know? And, and like, there's just like so many problematic things. And I'm sure there's like more stories out there of like people with terrible experiences or like seeing racism or microaggressions with, with the Book of Mormon series, which is sad yeah. because it's like, here's this, these stories being told of like these ancient Americans, these yeah. indigenous folks. And then it's like, you just have bad experience with it. It's just, it's just unfortunate. It's yeah. just sad. Yeah. And the thing about that too, is this, they're not going to undertake that kind of project for decades if they ever undertake it again. So this is just kind of. You know, and like with all of the stuff that we're already facing with race and the church and things like that, that's just going to be like a, a big blot on that, um, you know, that that page of history where it's, you know, they have the opportunity to do something really great with these Book of Mormon videos. And instead of, you know, doing proper representation, proper casting, they kind of, you know, drop the ball on that. But yeah. I do have to say, I would have loved to see Jesus cussing somebody out. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. I know we're running long oh yes, you're good, no, you're good. yeah good. so we'll we'll i mean thank you so much we learned a lot i learned a lot of good stuff no, today and um yeah we we enjoyed this interview for sure um we'll close it out with the recommendations rachel do you want to go first you want me to you can go first okay. i already gave one so now i gotta think of another yeah, okay i got you so my recommendation i, I already kind of gave it a little bit too but if you haven't watched echo on disney plus gotta check that out you know as we were talking about um representation it's incredible. Disney collaborated with the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma to create the story. And um, it's kind of like tied in. I don't know if you ever watched like Daredevil or Luke Cage, but, you know, it kind of like it ties into like the New York part of of Marvel. Um, but it's a, a Native American or a Choctaw woman, indigenous woman. Um, she's deaf. So she speaks sign language and everybody in the film speaks sign language, like all of her family and oh. stuff. So they're speaking sign language. And then she also has a prosthetic from her shin down um, from like an accident when she was a, a little girl. Um, and so, but she, she kicks ass the whole time. Like she's just mm. constantly beating people up. And so it's really, really cool to see an indigenous woman 
um, portrayed as a hero on screen, and then also like see parts of like Choctaw legends and like Choctaw culture. And there's like a scene where they have a powwow, and um, you know, there's like some really cool songs. There was one like at the end of this episode, I was like, "Yo, what song is this?" And I was bopping up and down, added to a playlist. Um, but it was just really, really cool to kind of, you know, for five episodes or whatever it was, be immersed in that that portion of culture that I've never had access to before, you know, um, and to, to see that represented. And it was special for me, kind of like you mentioned how Black Panther was special for you. So I can't imagine what it was like for indigenous people to see that and see, you know, a part of themselves reflected on screen. So if you haven't watched Echo on Disney Plus, definitely take the time to watch that. It's only five episodes. Um, you can you can watch it all in one sitting and it's incredible. That's my recommendation. Rachel, what you got? My brain just is not thinking of anything today. Oh, it's been like this all day. At work, it was like this. I was like, wow, it's giving struggle. Mm-hmm. I'm still defrosting from the day off yesterday. But I'm I'm just going to stick with my um, recommendation of seeing Elemental. <laughs> I love that movie. I will, now I want to go rewatch it. It's, it's just such a beautiful movie, a beautiful story. It kind of talks about immigration a little through it. That's what it's talking about. Basically, like people moving from another place to... Um, they move from like the Fire Nation. Well, it's not... It's their fire people and mm-hmm. fire nation. I know is avatar, but they move from where they are, where there's a lot of fire people to basically like the main town where there's no one who's um, of fire descent there. And they're like mm-hmm. the first ones who come and they kind of make a area, you know, how when, you know, people move to a certain part of the oh, town. They, they, them. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh, okay. exactly. So they kind of build out the area um, and they're kind of all pigeonholed to that area because everyone is afraid of the fire mm-hmm. because all the other elements are, you know, tree, they're like wood, um, water and um, clouds like wind and okay. fire just kind of destroys everything that it's around. So they mm-hmm. think. And so they're kind of they, they don't really come to the middle of the city. And it talks about these two different elements kind of falling in love and their experience um and kind of the the main girl she like her experience of trying to keep her father's dream alive um and, you know a lot of i feel like people who have immigrant parents will probably be able to relate to the story of wanting to do what the parent wants mm-hmm. and and do but then you see as the story goes along you learn um of what the father really wanted for her and um just seeing their their relationship and their story it's it's really beautiful so mm-hmm. highly highly recommend that sounds good. All right. Mr. Bryson, take us home. What you got? Oh, man. I actually wrote a list. Okay. okay. Let's get it. Let's go. Hopefully it's not too long. <laughs> no, we'll put it down for everybody to know. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, since we've been talking about, like, film and cinema and, and stuff, uh, there's there's two, uh, there's one series that I'm, I've been watching right now, and I absolutely love it. And it's uh, Reservation Dogs. Mm. It's on mm-hmm. Hulu. It's an FX show. And it's, it's, uh, I love it. It's like a dramedy and it follows these indigenous youth on a reservation. And it's just like real and grounded and funny. And just like, it's just beautiful. It's just like this looking into this world that I had no idea about Mm -hmm. and absolutely love it. Um, There's also another, uh, a film on Hulu that came out in August called Miguel Wants to Fight. Hmm. Um, It's kind of an indie, an indie comedy. Um, It's rated R. Uh, there's one scene in the very beginning that might turn more conservative audiences off, but push through because then it becomes really fun. It's like really bold and like quirky and just like, it's a very different tone. That was like, actually in my list of things to watch. Oh, I'll yeah. have to check it out. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's it's fun. It's it's different and it might feel a little low budget because it, it is, but I think it's one of those films that I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like I've never seen a film like this where it's like the first white person I saw wasn't until like 10 or 15 minutes in, right. which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then the next thing is 
there's a documentary called This Changes Everything. Um, and it's about the underrepresentation and misrepresentation of women in Hollywood. Hmm. Um, and this this documentary, I watched it a couple of years ago, and it like had a huge impact on me as a filmmaker and like the changes that I can do as a man in the industry mm. um, in being more inclusive of, of female voices mm. and female leaders in the industry and how I have to be proactive about like including women. It's like, mm. yeah, like how do we include more women? It's like, oh, I don't know, hire them. You know, like just start by including them, like bring them to the table. And I think the same goes with like people of color. It's like same thing. It's like just hire us, bring us to the table, include us in in the creative process. And and from there on, you'll start to just have more representation and, and unique perspectives in, in the content you're creating. Um there's a I'm sorry, there's so many of these recommendations. <laughs> there's this podcast called Brown Enough by Christopher Rivas. Uh, he's Dominican, um, and he talks about um, the intersections between black and white and what it means to be, like, brown enough in mm. a world of black and white. Mm. Um, and he, the first 10 episodes talks about um, this man called Ruby Rosa, who is a, a black Dominican man who was the inspiration for James Bond. Um, mm. which is interesting because it's like, oh, James Bond is a white character, <laughs> but based been. on a black man. Um, wow. and, and it's very interesting, very fascinating. And then the rest of the series, um, he interviews a lot of, um, like different change makers and like BIPOC voices in different industries. And like, that has like, just filled me with a lot of really neat knowledge of like, just what it's like to, to navigate these different spaces. Um, so I, I recommend that. And then, um, I think, sorry, three things, three more things. Um, there's the UCLA does a diversity report for films in Hollywood. Okay. And mm. it's, it just talks, it just breaks down the numbers of like diversity in Hollywood films and in productions and like the percentages of people of color that are directors and writers and like the percentages of women in, in film. And it's just like interesting, like seeing like the recap of those numbers and like, even though there has been a lot of progress over the years, mm -hmm. we are so far behind. Mm -hmm. Like I think for 2023, only like 1.2 directors were in like theatrical films where people of color mm -hmm. and it's like similar percentages with like women as directors mm -hmm. and then like leads and protagonists. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like, it's such a small percentage, even though we're starting to see more, mm -hmm. it's like, wait, only like 13%. And mm -hmm. 10 years ago, it was half that. So like, yeah, there's progress, but it's like, and still not reflecting what what the, the population, the population is. is yeah. yeah and so like that's like just really interesting for anyone who's interested to kind of like look into the numbers and like realize that they also do research of like the more diverse your cast is the more money you make yeah. like looking at the mm -hmm. most highest grossing box uh, movies in the box office the majority of them have a diverse cast and by diverse cast they mean at least 30 percent mm -hmm. <laughs> which is still not in my mind that's not that diverse right. but at least 30 percent you're making right. more money you're making 100%. more money so it's like diversity sells so why aren't people doing more of it, it and like some are but it's mm -hmm. still not good enough yeah right. um okay last two things my apologies i know oh, this good. is running so long um uh there's been a lot of awards we're in award season right now and there's yes. been some women of color who've received some like amazing uh achievements and like yep. awards mm -hmm. um I recommend everyone watch Angela Bassett's acceptance speech for her honorary Oscar. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's long. It's I think like ten to fifteen minutes, but it is powerful. 
and it is moving and she is like an amazing actor like she's incredible she needs the real one but mm -hmm. we'll take this right now mm -hmm. <laughs> and then um and then america ferrera um, oh, yeah. watching her critics choice award speech that also is like that. powerful and like some good stuff of like yeah it's like the 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 peak the pinnacle of like storytelling is like just telling about the human experience mm. and and i feel like that's really like what i want for myself as well as like everyone as as storytellers and consumers of stories is to like embrace people for who they are like we are we are all human we are all intricate and complex and beautiful creatures and the more we consume content that reflects a more like real and diverse world view and experience it will like affect our personal lives and we will start viewing other people as human and we will start having more empathy and love for the people in our life that are different from us just because we are consuming stories that are different from us and so I think that's my final recommendation is just like, yeah, seek out art and seek out cinema and stories that you're not used to consuming and and embrace those stories and embrace those people and fall in love with them. Amen. Love that. That's powerful. Yes. Well, Bryson, thank you so much. Yes. Yeah, thank it was you. a, great it was a interview. wonderful interview. Yes, yeah. we learned so much and um, got good actions to take away. Mm-hmm. And a lot of great clips for social media. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. We we appreciate you coming on the podcast and, um, you know, being willing to be here. And, um, yeah, sorry it took us so long to get you on, but it was definitely worth it. Oh, 100%. No yeah, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for bearing with my long-windedness. No, we, so we have enjoyed – we have learned so much today. Like, we've gone over a whole bunch of things, and I mm -hmm. think our listeners are, are going to enjoy it. Yeah, I'll enjoy this oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I, I wrote this huge list. I have a huge Google Doc. I only got through half of it. Oh, <laughs> but I, I got the we'll good have stuff. You back we got the okay. Stuff. okay, that's We're all good. that matters. We got the juicy stuff. Okay. So yeah, but but no, thank you, thank you so much. Like I appreciate um, like the work that you do and like this platform and 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 like I mean, there's there's so much work for all of us to be doing, mm -hmm. and I feel like hearing these different perspectives and like these different people that come onto the podcast. It's like it it it's so helpful. It like opens our minds and it makes us think of things that, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Or like yeah. that's a unique perspective that I can take into account. Or like, oh wow, like there's a lot of harm that I'm doing in my life and I had no idea. And so like I hope that like the audience here is, I mean, I I know they are like they're open and they're like their minds are open and they're willing to change and they're willing to implement um the things that they learn so that they can be a part of the solution which is, you know, just embracing people and like sharing more love and actually being Christ-like, which is, you know, I th at least if, yeah, if you're, if you're religious or if you're a, a Christian, it's like, yeah, it's like, that's what it's all about. It's like, be like Jesus. What does Jesus do? He loves people. Yeah. He like ministers to people on the margins and like we can and should be doing the same and kind of circling back. Like, I think that's why it's so important to, to expose ourselves to to stories of different people because it again it helps us fall in love with them and then serve those people in in our real life yeah and Absolutely. yeah and we i just always appreciate us having people from different backgrounds because it shows us all the ways in which we can contribute like there's no one way to make a difference or to give like there's so many ways that we need to all pull together to do pieces and I just love seeing how everyone's like, you know, we're all kind of like a part of this puzzle and we each have our own unique piece to build together to create a more um, accepting, loving, caring um, and inclusive world that we live in. 
um, that we so desperately need. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. what what easier way to make change than to just watch TV? Exactly, that you already <laughs> right? do. You already do it. So it's like, yeah, it's like watch TV made by BIPOC filmmakers mm-hmm. that feature and, you know, are led by BIPOC actors. It's like, yes. yeah, that's easy. But it hopefully is. you're doing more than that too. <laughs> right, hopefully, but that's something I can definitely do. Absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll finish out with some closing remarks. So if you uh, have stories that you want us to share or people you want us to interview, give us an email at blackmenacespodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on all platforms, uh, Instagram at Black Menaces, Twitter, um, TikTok as well, and then The Black Menaces on YouTube. Um, you can also listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts um, or Apple Music, Spotify, whatever's left. I don't know which ones have gone out of business and which ones haven't. Um, but yeah, you can listen to the podcast anywhere. And then also you can go to the merch store on the blackmenaces.org slash store and purchase uh, like the OG t-shirt, some other cool stuff. We got some hoodies on there, water bottles, notebooks. Um, and then you can also donate to us at, uh, with Venmo, the Black Menaces or um, the blackmenaces.org slash donate. Um, we appreciate y'all listening. And with that. Oh, I'm going to plug oh, yeah. one more thing before we right. end. Something we're starting for the new year is um, during our fourth week, we want you guys to feel more interactive with the podcast. We want to feel like you guys um, get a say. And so we're going to submit something this week on our Instagram where you guys can ask us questions um, about pretty much anything. And we're going to start compiling all those questions to um, center around our fourth episode will be kind of us chit-chatting up and it'll be not just me and Nate but Sebastian will get on here too and say some things so that's something to look forward to so be on the lookout for that on our Instagram indeed thank you Rachel and with that I'll catch y'all next week yes beautiful